Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. People can talk you in and out of a concept, but an experience is so irrefutable, it's yours to keep. So when I experienced that calm for the first time, and I realized that there's something in this breath work keeping that mind still. I experienced a, a state of mind without thoughts. And that felt liberating. That was a feeling I had never experienced before. So I, I, I gravitated towards that, saying, I want to go a little deeper into this and little did I know where I was headed, but I knew that there was something in it that I wanted. And that's when that journey began. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I am joined with Kushal Choksi. He started his career as a quantitative analyst with Goldman Sachs. He left Goldman Sachs as a vice president of asset management to join Athelion, an investment fund. As a managing director at Athelion, he helped ramp up a $45 billion portfolio before the fund was acquired by EBF Associates. He then moved to India to join BlackRock's fixed income business as a senior vice president, where he managed billions of dollars in the company's flagship mutual funds. After returning to New York, he submitted to his passion for entrepreneurship and started his own tech startup. His content distribution venture, Hubble, was acquired by Airpush within two years. He then started a proprietary trading venture, Claviano Capital, which later merged with ARB Trading Group. He and his wife now run Elements Truffles, a New York-based artisanal chocolate company based on values of Ayurveda, sustainability, giving back, and ethical trade. Kushal is a trainer of personal development, meditation, wellness, and leadership programs for the Art of Living Foundation. He has taught secrets of breathwork and meditation to thousands across the U.S., Europe, and Asia. He serves on the U.S. board of the International Association for Human Values. Good afternoon, Kushal. How are you doing today? Good afternoon, Diva. I'm doing excellent. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. 
know, I was reading your bio and I was looking at your information some time ago and I was really interested because you were actually around during the 9-11 tragedy. And we're about almost a month away from 9-11. And I have never really talked to anyone that was present during the, that whole incident. And uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on what you went through. And I mean, because it definitely was a traumatic event for everyone, for all of us, and more so for people who were present during that time. Absolutely. Um, you know, in, in life, there are very few events that actually mark a new beginning, uh, mark a turn off a new chapter, if you will. And this was one such event for me. Um, I used to work in New York uh, back then on a, on a trading desk at Goldman Sachs. And um, I was so uh, immersed in chasing the, the American dream at that point that at some point of time, I had stopped asking what I was doing. Um, you know, it was just, just flowing so fast in the, in the current of time that it was just completely sucked in. And kind of the days were merging into weeks and weeks into years. And it was just kind of a blur. And then when, you know, it was what a miracle that I just survived, um, you know, this, this horrific event um, that kind of shook me up. You know, it's the things that I took for granted, the things that I depended on, the things that I thought filled my day or my pursuits or my, uh, my, my, so-called chase, nothing mattered anymore. Um, and and it, it was in that moment that I really started asking, what was I doing, by the way? What was I here for? Is that, is that more to life than what meets the eye? Um, you know, there, there has to be something beyond just chasing big bonuses and driving fast cars. And it was oftentimes when you, when you look at death from so up so close and personal, you know, it, it creates some sort of vacuum. It creates some sort of void. Uh, you know, this, it, there's a certain dispassion that, that dawns and you feel like the meaninglessness of everything. And that's something that I had read about in the books before, but for the first time I was hit by something like that. So it hit with like a, like a big hammer on my head and I, it was very difficult initially to, to cope up with it. And, you know, for initial days, of course, I was having, you know, nightmares became common and all that. It was just the typical signs of the PTSD, if you will, which, of course, at that time, I didn't know that it was that, but it, that things became very normal. But after that, there was this an, an urge to, to kind of finish things that were unfinished in my life. I thought I had a new lease of life and now I wanted to do everything and I wanted to do Kind of life was too short to be playing safe, and I want to do this and that, and and uh, kind of finish the unfinished business. But at the same time, there was a distinct lack of meaning in all that because what if the curtain gets drawn at any moment? And what was the point of all that, anyways? So it was a it was a it was a void that I experienced at that time that I had never experienced before. And you know, I, I've seen with some of the in some cases such void can can take you, you know, to fill that void, you can, it can take you to, to doing some things that are not so life-supporting. Like, you, know, you, you look for fulfillment in, in alcohol or, or drugs. Or something. I mean, I, I did some alcohol in that time and to, to think that, you know, that could help me fill this void or, or travel around the world. Oh, perhaps that could, that would do it. You know, that would take me out of this funk, you know, trying different jobs, trying different things, you know, but I realized I was looking for fulfillment in the wrong places, in the, in the wrong avenues. So that was an interesting time in my life where there was an urge to 
to do everything, to fi- to finish a lot of things that I'd started or not started. But at the same time, I was like, eh, it, I do it, but then so what? I, I would do that and then keep coming back to the same void again and again. So I do that, feel distracted, feel a little bit of a high, and then come back to the same void. And then same place, now what? So I, I, I kind of waffled in that space for about a couple of years. And that was an interesting part of my life, to say the least. Yeah, I can see that. It's interesting that you talk about that because it's a kind of a struggle that a lot of people go through, whether you want to call it you know, the entrepreneurial mindset, the serial entrepreneurial mindset, or whether you call it the midlife crisis, or just really you know, chasing after the wrong thing. And, and honestly, I've been through that whole aspect myself. And, and in fact, I'm doing a lot of internal work during this time. And it really has brought to the attention about not looking for happiness extrinsically. And it really comes, happiness really has to come within. And it's been really a journey for me um, in many ways, but specifically coming to that conclusion. And and, I, and I'm sure it, it's it, when you finally found what it is to embark on to really find fulfillment, it's liberating. It really is. I mean, of course, there's a lot of work that's involved and, and you have to erase a lot of bad habits because we're very habitual people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 48 soon. And it's like, you have to erase 48 years of, of bad habits, which, which doesn't, you know, occur overnight. And so with you, so um, this whole process was a major turning point for you. So what did it lead you to achieve or, or to find in terms of your happiness and your fulfillment? Yeah, I mean, it's initially, as I said, it was, it was all the external stimuli that I was looking for to, to get that, uh, to get that fulfillment. But then when I realized that it was just bringing back to the same place, I, I really struggled for a while to, uh, to, to find that it. And, um, you know, I grew up in a very, um, uh, very religious family um, back in India. And so there were some seeds of um, spirituality that were, that were sown early on. Um, but I was a kind of a rebel and I, there was a very thin line between spirituality and religion and which always went towards the religion more. And so I never subscribed to that part much. But there was a, there was some seed that kept me that pulled me towards it. I, I felt like there might be some answer in that because that was one sphere that was perhaps not explored. And um, I tried reading different things, and uh, of course, I started meeting a lot of people who had achieved that uh, that state that I could see that. But again, um, like how you said, there was a lot of concepts that were thrown at me about, about happiness, uh, you know, that you can find within and, and being in the present moment and in not letting your mind go, uh, you know, in, in the past or, or worry about the future. But one thing I continue to struggle with is, is how, you know, okay, I understand that the happiness is within, but, but how do I get there? How do I tap into it? Can I tell my mind to be in the moment? You know, how do I really do it? Okay. You know, just by t- telling it, it's, it's an effort, you know, and, and the, the language of mind is not effort. So how do I do it? Um, and that's, 
you know, and in, in that state, um, one of my friends um, who used to work with my wife at Goldman Sachs, um, she said that one of the spiritual master from India is traveling to New York, Gurudev Shri Shri Ravi Shankar. And he said, why don't you go see him? And he's, he's, he's coming to New York. You should, you should meet him. There's a public event at the, uh, at the Waldorf Astoria. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in, in gurus. I, I was completely, I would say, hyper averse to that whole, uh, whole concept of, of having someone as, as a guru. And so I, I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't. But, uh, you know, in a, in a funny sequence of events, I somehow ended up there. Um, and the very first experience of breath work and some meditation that I experienced that afternoon it completely changed my, my orientation. It completely changed my bearing. And I thought, this is the direction where I should be headed to find what I'm looking for. I was still very um, cautious, uh, but I would say cautiously optimistic because at some level there was this deep-rooted fear or resistance about spirituality, but... At the same time, there was a pull in that direction because I knew there was something in there that I wanted because I actually experienced it. I mean, people can talk you in and out of a concept, but an experience is so irrefutable, it's yours to keep. So when I experienced that calm for the first time, and I realized that there's something in this breath work keeping that mind still. It was the first time, by the way, in so many years in my adult life that I can remember, I experienced a, a state of mind without thoughts for an extended, you know, almost 20, 25 minutes. And that felt liberating. That was a feeling I had never experienced before. So I, I, I gravitated towards that. Say, I want to go a little deeper into this and didn't know where I was headed, but I knew that there was something in it that I wanted more. And that's when that journey began. That's amazing. And I'm really curious about the type of breath work that you engaged in that was so liberating and and that changed your, your life essentially. So is it holotropic breath work or Soma, or there's so many different types of breath work out there. What did you practice? So this is a, this breath work is called the sky breath uh, meditation. It's called the Sudarshan Kriya. Uh, it's abbreviated as sky. Uh, and it's just rhythmic breathing, just using the own rhythms, uh, the rhythms of your own breath to, to get your mind to a certain state. And the most beautiful aspect about this, which actually I could relate to is that Every other aspects of mind control that I tried before or, or biohacking or whatever, it required some sort of effort at the level of mind that you tell your mind to focus on something or you tell your mind to resist something or not think of something. And everything felt like a frontal cortex activity. Everything felt like effort. And that I could not do because, you know, at the realm of the mind, I realized I couldn't control my own mind with the mind. So then I needed something else to, to get to it, to control that. And in this breath work, I found that, that little switch that using the rhythms of the breath, I could just get into a state where without any effort, the mind just sunk into meditation. The, the mind just went to a space where there were no thoughts. So all I had to do was just breathe. I didn't have to resist any thoughts. I didn't have to concentrate about anything. In, in fact, the first time I was doing it, the instructor kind of said, just let the thoughts come. 
you know, as, as they're coming, don't resist any thoughts, which itself was a liberating feeling for me for the first time that, you know, this is, I can do it. And this is, this seems within reach. And the very first experience of this sky breath meditation, you know, it, it took me to a, a stage much deeper than the first time I had tried to meditate. Uh, and yeah, it, it was, um, th- th- there's tons of research done. Um, actually, one of my very good friends, uh, Dr. James Nestor, he's written a book called Breath. And he has compared all these different types of breath works. And he, he's sky breath, the Sudarshan Kriya was also uh, a trigger for him that got him down the path of trying different breath works and exploring, you know, different types of breathing. And of course, me being a very left brain, sort of Wall Street guy, I was not ready to take it uh, for for granted. Just because somebody says it's good, I was not going to believe it. I did a lot of my own research. I did, you know, I did a lot of peer peer research and all that done in independent research that I looked at. And then I said, this perhaps has something that it's both scientifically validated and also of course, it gave me the experience, right? So there, there's something in it that, that I wanted to go down the, uh, down the path of exploring further. So that was my experience with, uh, with sky breath. Um, its roots are in a very ancient Vedic breathing, Vedic, uh, Vedic wisdom. Um, but it's both ancient um, science kind of in the contemporary wisdom, if I may say. Uh, and that's a very life-transforming experience. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctor2patient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. And for you specifically, how often do you engage in this practice? And um, is it very easy to perform to uh, get the desired results? Yeah, um, I, I practice this daily. Um, it's something that you know, as a trader, I saw this was one of the best return of investments that I could make as myself. And when I say return of investment of time. You know, you could do there's So as, as, as you said, there's so many things out there. What is it that you do and what is it that you don't do after you only have so many hours in the day? Um, so this is one practice that after having tried so many different things um, that stuck with me, um, I, it takes about 20 minutes a day. <clears throat> I practice it every day. Uh, I usually do it the first thing in the morning because then it sets the tone for the day for me. Um, you know, and it has worked at so many different levels for me. Uh, and 
and and now I also teach that practice. By the way, I I, I I you know I'm a volunteer with the foundation. I paid forward just by volunteering my time teaching this practice. It's it's so uh, effective. You know that what 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 kind of stayed with me was that it was so effective from the get go. In the in the very first week, I started seeing results. Of course, the very first session, I saw results. In the very first week, I started seeing how you know how it was just changing me, how, we were, how I started, you know, responding to the situations rather than reacting to the situations. And nothing else had changed in my life at that time. Um, you know, so it was like, first of all, I, I was in denial. I was like, how can this practice be, you know, it, it, is it something, you know, something out there? Or did I, did I succumb to something? Did I just drank some Kool-Aid? But it was not that, you know, and then, and, and when I was, as I, started going deeper into it, learning more about it, the scientific underpinnings of it. I realized that there was, that it was really effective. There was a lot of substance in it. And, and, and it's been now practiced by over, you know, 150 million people across the world in more than 150 countries. And that gave me some confidence <laughs> that, you know, I'll be okay. Um, and, and it's the, it's the, I tell you, uh, Diva, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Now it seems like it's been very impactful for your life. Can you explain the like the art and science behind the specific type of breathwork and what it does to the brain and how it's effectively calming the nervous system? Yes. Um, so, you know, at gross level, we are the body, right? We say, okay, I am Kushal, I'm Diva, we, are, we identify with that body. But our life has seven different layers. You know, our existence has seven different layers. The grossest is, of course, the body. Subtler than the body is the breath. And then comes the mind. And I say mind, not the brain, but the, the, the field of energy where you, you know, where the thoughts and emotions spring from and, you know, feelings are felt. Then comes intellect, that judging faculty, which says, yes, yes, no, no. And intellect makes its decisions based on memory storehouse of all these experiences, like how you said earlier, 48 years of experiences, or perhaps lifetimes of impressions that we have collected, that goes in, into this, you know, science calls it the limbic brain, right? So the, the memory. Beyond memory is the ego, that sense of identity. And then comes the self, our consciousness, the big mind. And so these seven layers are, they, they make, up of, make up of who we are. And as life progresses, you know, we, the, the, we lose the rhythm of between the seven layers, across the seven layers. So in a very simple terms, the sky breath just rhythmically aligns these seven layers. It goes through all these different layers to yourself. So that's why it's called Sudarshan Kriya. It's made up of two words. Su is proper. Darshan is vision. In Sanskrit, of course, and Kriya is the purifying action. So through the action of your own breath, you get the vision of who you are. I'm not the body. I'm just not the mind. I'm not just, you know, but who am I really? And so it just goes through all these layers through the self. And when you connect to the self, you know, that's, that is that source of happiness, a source of joy. What we say it's within what I found is when you take a dip into that space, 
you know, it is so nourishing. It is so enlivening. It is so invigorating. It's so just so, so peaceful and the place to enjoy, place to be. I wish everyone on this planet at least once experienced that space, you know, where you are away from all the modulations of mind, all the impressions in the memory, all the thoughts, the, the pains and aches of the body, away from all these layers, but just established in that self. You know, in Sanskrit, the word for health or happiness is svastha, which means being established in the self. You know, that is svastya or svastha. So that there's a lot of merit to being established in that space or, or even just dipping into that space for, for a minute, a few minutes. It just brings you out so charged. So first and foremost thing at an experiential level, this sky breath gives you that ability to go there, that tap into that space of who you really are. But at the scientific level, you know, of course, we have a sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And, you know, one is responsible for fight and flight. The other is responsible for deeper rest. And the, the sky breath allows you to kind of make, attain that balance. You know, attain, and this is all the scientific research that it allows you to bring that balance into the system so that you are more equanimous, you are more centered against, you know, all the situations in the life uh, that are happening. Another thing that it does is it stimulates the, the, the vagal nerve. Um, and the, the vagus nerve has, you know, it has nerve endings from all these different uh, organs. And, you know, it says that the stimulation of vagus nerve can create a lot of peace and calm and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the system. It's also, the science also says that how it's responsible for um, reducing the cortisol, this, the stress hormone. Um, it's responsible for increasing the, the, the serotonin flow, which is the happiness hormone. So it's, it impacts, you know, we, there are about hundreds of research, scientific research is done. In fact, this is the one most recent that came out from Yale, uh, Yale and Harvard that, that goes much deeper into it and compares it to other modalities, other breathwork and, and mindfulness modalities. That's all left brain thing. But for me, the most important thing was that how it allowed me to be present, how it let me, let me be, you know, away from the constant barrage of thoughts, the constant barrage of priorities, the things that we have to do, things that are constantly drawing us outwards. Uh, it just allowed me to, to retrieve in that deeper space effortlessly. Without, without much effort. All I had to do was just sit, close my eyes and breathe. And the other thing that comes to mind when we're talking about such modalities and techniques that lend to more peace and calmness, on the flip side, does one become so calm and you know, so relaxed that they lose the, the spark to get ahead in business or to get ahead in life or to maybe even lose that competitiveness? In fact, it's the actual opposite that happens when you get into that space. You know, oftentimes we, we don't do things because of fear of judgment, because of fear of failure. Uh, we feel, oh, what if I do this? And if I, I am not, if I don't succeed at it, you know, what will the world think of me, right? 
this whole practice, at least I can speak from my personal experience and a lot of people that I've met across uh, across the globe in the last 20 years who've been practicing this regularly, is that it gives you that ability to be still inside, but also be very dynamic outside. You know, in fact, it was only after I learned this, I left the comfort of my 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 nine to five, it was not nine to five, but nine, you know, seven to nine job and, 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 you know, jumped into my own startup and I'm, a, I've become a serial entrepreneur since I mean, this is my third startup and I've done things that really this technique gave me the ability to follow my heart, you know, and oftentimes we, we don't do that because either we are in our comfort zone um, or there's some, you know, some circumstance around us that, that, that kind of holds us back. You know, sometimes there are responsibilities, of course, um, that, that we have to respect. I'm not saying just jump in, you know, head first, but oftentimes, even though there is an opportunity, we just, it's our mind that holds us back. And this practice gave me that ability to move past and say, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, there was just so much confidence. There was just so much, um, uh, so I realized that, you know, I just had to be in action. I just had to do it. And if it worked out, great. If not, I'm going to move on to the next thing that makes me happy. You know, so I, and, and lo and behold, it did work out in my case. My first startup failed. My next two became successful, but that didn't stop me. You know, I, I, it's just, it's just been a, such an amazing ride for me that I just feel like, yeah, there's a safety net. And so I can jump off the, I have a parachute and I can jump off the ledge and do things that otherwise, you know, I would not have done. And how does this compare to just traditional meditation? You know, meditation, there's so many, so much research that's available for meditation and there's so many benefits to meditation, just the same kind of benefits that you would get from the breath work that you're, you're talking about, the sky breath work. So why would you choose one versus the other, or can you do both? Or, you know, when would you choose one versus the other? I have been the one to always choose the path of least resistance. I, I do things that are easy to me. So this was easy. I've tried perhaps every single type of meditation that's out there. Um, and this was the one that stuck with me um, because this is an active form of meditation. Um, you are breathing. And as you breathe, you, your mind kind of, you know, it, it, that, that activity of breathing transports your mind into a state of meditation. Um, I've tried different modalities and I, different types where you sit and focus on certain part of the body or focus on certain uh, a, a sound or focus on a light or, or you know, do different, different kind of things to, to get your mind to that state. Perhaps the state of the mind is same. You know, the, perhaps the, with every meditation, in every, if I may say, successful meditation, although there's nothing to get, but in, 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 a, in a meditation, perhaps the end experience is the same. How you get there is, is very important. You know, you get there through, through, through a process of negating things, you process of resisting things, or you just get there effortlessly, how quickly you get there. And so this is what this process or this way of doing it stuck with me um, because it was very effortless, very gentle. Um, and, and yeah, every time it, it gave me that experience. Yeah. Here's the funny thing. I have been breathing, meditating for the last 16 some years. 
not two of my experience have been the same. You know, it gives you what you need in that moment. If I have had a very long day, if there's a lot of, I had a long night before, if I have, there's a lot of fatigue in the system, you know, it gives me that physical rejuvenation. If I have a lot of thoughts going on and, and, you know, just mind is just, just bombarded with just a lot of things, it helps me clean that. You know, if there's something that's weighing on my mind, you know, it's just, you know, a feeling of loss or something, it gives me strength to move past that. So it, it's just, you know, I myself was getting amazed early on. Now I, I've stopped asking. But I, I was like, how can this one, such an innocuous thing where you just sit and breathe? There's, there's, there's nothing more you're doing. And how can it just show up in, in different ways uh, and, and give me what I need in that moment? And that was a very gratifying, um, you know, gratifying experience. And inst- I'm all about instant gratification. So I didn't have to wait for, for months to experience that. You know, at the end of 20 minutes, you know, I, I came out rejuvenated. I got what I needed in that moment. Yeah. And a lot of people whom I coach or my clients, you know, we always talk about different modalities to calm the nervous system. And obviously breathwork and meditation are top of the list. And everyone says to me, you know, I can't meditate. I can't sit still for 20 minutes. I can't seem to get rid of these thoughts out of my head to go into a meditative state. Then they get turned off by having to sit and do that process for 10 to 20 minutes or however long it may be. And then I tell them, I said, you know, the one of the most relaxing things and one of the most easiest things to do is, is some sort of, you know, breath work. It is a form of meditation. And this type of mindfulness practice can achieve what meditation can do for you. And it's really about tapping into what is the uh, best modality for yourself. And you have to try the different ones out there to see what resonates high with you. And for me, you know, I, I can sometimes get into a meditative state, but breath work seems to be very easy. And um, I always tell people, you know, the basics of breath work, you know, I, I tell tell them to do the, you know, the box breathing. And that's a very common practice, a uh, very mm-hmm. easy practice to start with a specific breathwork type modality. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's, it's baby steps, you know, if, if people's nervous systems are really amped up, you know, and they need something quick and easy, you know, this is a great starting point to, to really go into a mindfulness practice. And obviously there's advanced techniques and there's you know, techniques like the sky breath, which I'm sure is, can be uh, adapted very you know, quickly for a person. So, you know, and I like to just try different modalities. And then there's other modalities that are even easier where you can get to that state of, of brain waves into the, like the, the delta wave by using binaural beats. And so I'm a big fan of binaural beats too, because you just slap the headset on, listen to it. In 20, 30 minutes, your brain is already into that same delta waves. And it's beautiful. And it's and it can be done anywhere, anytime. And just you don't have to worry about the thoughts and clearing your mind. So it's what resonates with you. And you know, it's 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 great that there's so many different practices, but at the same time, it can be very confusing and daunting for people because there's so many. So it's yeah. nice to be able to have a conversation, you know, with someone who's been doing this sky breathwork technique for very many years and, and, and also understanding how it's transformed um, your life for the better. And so, you know, you talk about the breathwork and, and you've been doing this for, you said 16 years now? 16 years. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. 
and it, I'm sure it's had a huge impact. And it, it's amazing that the, the impetus for this was, you know, a traumatic event and, you know, and that that's, what's really changed um, your life. And so I'm sure your life is much more in bliss. You, what you were looking for, you found, you know, and I guess when you're talking about entering that state of self or dipping into that state of self, I, I'm, I'm more thinking that's more of the oneness type of mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's beautiful. There's different ways to get to that one new state, but getting to that state is really uh, beautiful and blissful. And it really, for me anyways, it attains a different perspective on spirituality. And once you understand that we are all one and we're all connected, it kind of changes your perspective and how you treat yourself and how you treat others. Absolutely. It's that, that seventh layer of our existence, the self that, that connects me to to you and and to the to the universal consciousness, if you will. Yeah. And and it's it's so precious to to have this awareness and opportunity to to dip into it. Mm-hmm. And it's very powerful because this things like this should be, in my opinion, taught to the public at a very young age, or you know, should be taught to people in lieu or along with um, medications. I'm not a big fan of you know anti-anxiety medications or antidepressants unless it's absolutely needed. And if they fail conventional techniques, such as like, you know, breath work and, and other mindfulness types of practices, then yeah, I would agree that, you know, an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication may be appropriate, but I would love to see more practitioners teaching these types of techniques to their patients. I completely agree with you, doctor. I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, of course, I'm no doctor, uh, but I've seen people who come to uh, to my programs or just in general to these programs um, because they're not able to sleep. Um, they're not able to, you know, there's some some sort of neural response, some stress disorders that are, you know, they are forcing them to just gobble a cocktail of medications, um, yeah. you know, and one or two days of this practice, I've seen people just you know, think, Hey, I didn't need to take a, a you know, pop a pill tonight. Just yeah. that's, that's such an amazing thing to, to, mm-hmm. to, to see. And for listeners who are curious about sky technique, where can they go to learn more about this? Sure. They can go to, um, artofliving.org. Uh, Art of Living Foundation has been teaching these practices all around the world. They can look up the next sky breath meditation workshop. Um, these days, they are all happening on Zoom. Um, it used to happen in person, but Zoom. I, I even like the Zoom version better. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, really be yourself. Um, and um, yeah, just that it's a three-day workshop, just a couple of hours every day. And I encourage everyone to to at least give it a try. You know, then you decide whether it's for you or not. But is it a rolling enrollment, or is it you have to just catch a course when it's um, offered from the beginning to end? There are tons of, uh, it's a largely volunteer organization. So there are tons of volunteers around the world. They're always, you know, offering up their time to teach. So uh, at any given point of time in your time zone, you would find at least eight to 10, you know, programs uh, in a given week. Uh, Usually it starts on Friday and on Sunday. You can look me up on there. Uh, I, I teach regularly on the same platform. Excellent. You also are coming out with the book. So talk to us a little bit about the book and, and, and uh, some of the contents of it and when it's coming out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, 
this whole aspect that we talked about in last <laughs> last half an hour, uh, I kind of put that in a in a in a book. Um, it's called On a Wing and a Prayer: uh, Spirituality for the Reluctant, the Curious, and the Seeker. Um, perhaps all three of my own life stages at different points in time. Um, but uh, it's 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 my journey how this the the this traumatic event kind of uh, you know pushed me towards looking for a deeper meaning looking for something that was more than than just nine to five of life um and in that process how i i stumbled upon this path uh, met a spiritual master um and and everything that i learned from him um and and sometimes judging it sometimes questioning the stereotypes sometimes um you know not accepting it but yet despite of all the doubts and and trials and tribulations keep coming back to it uh and in the process becoming a better version of myself every day um so you know it's uh, it's my, it's my journey uh, i would i would love for uh, anyone to 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 kind of experience that this this calm that i uh experience i would love for everyone to experience that but if there are any questions or if there's any doubt in your mind whether it is something whether it's something for you or whether that is something you you should do when you retire because that's the time of the, these are the pursuits for the later time of the life then you would be able to relate to me my my own struggles and my own learnings and and perhaps uh, you, you you'll enjoy this so uh, the book is uh, coming out uh, you know very soon um it'll be published by the uh, you know the 20th anniversary of September 11 uh, by penguin random house and um yeah it, there's more information about the book on my website uh, my first name last name.com kushalchoksi.com excellent yeah well i appreciate it kushal for taking the time out of your schedule to join me on the show today so uh thank you once again it was great to have great having you on the show thank you it's been a pleasure <laughs>